Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Road Show. In June now, OTAs in full swing. And obviously, at this time of year in particular, you have to take everything that you hear coming out of NFL camps with a grain of salt. But I do think that there are a few things that have been particularly interesting to me. Um, Paris Campbell's name is coming up a lot in Indianapolis. According to reports, he's looking very good, very active in the offense. Uh, They say he seems to have a clear role in the slot there. Caught three touchdowns in the red zone on Wednesday. Obviously, we are familiar with Paris Campbell. It hasn't panned out in the past. I'm just saying that things are different there. There's a different quarterback. If he can stay healthy, I just think that's a name to keep our eye on, right? Because Indy doesn't have a whole lot of high-end wide receiver options outside of Michael Pittman. So we are looking for someone to step up there. Maybe it will be Paris Campbell. I do wonder if there might be plans to get the tight ends a little bit more involved there, like Mo Alley Cox, perhaps. I think the addition of Matt Ryan will likely lead to more tight end usage in the passing game. In fact, Cox made some comments this week about Ryan checking in uh, checking it down to the tight ends a lot in certain coverages. I-, I think that that is worth putting on our radar for fantasy purposes because Cox is going really, really late in fantasy drafts. And obviously we haven't seen ton of fantasy drafts yet. There have been some though, and he has an ADP of 190, which is around 15 in a 12 person league. He's tied in 31 at the moment. So I think that's a good late round flyer option. Campbell also, maybe his ADP is way low, lower than that. 273 overall. He's wide receiver 94. Um, Romeo Dubs in Green Bay also standing out in OTAs and everybody in Green Bay is being very careful to tweet the whole it's just OTAs on air all of the disclaimers but it does sound like he's been looking pretty good and he's not the rookie that we were expecting to be hearing that about the fourth round pick for them they also of course took a wide receiver in the first round, Christian Watson, and it sounds like he is not acclimating quite as quickly. There have been a lot of drops, relatively speaking. Of course, and here's another disclaimer, all the disclaimers. I'm just going to stop with the disclaimers. Maybe I won't. Uh, We don't have to go back that far to find an example of a wide receiver who was dropping the ball in the offseason, training camp, and turned into a megastar immediately, Jamar Chase. So again, grain of salt. Uh, It does sound like Washington's first-round receiver is hitting the ground running. There have been a lot of reports out of their camp about Jahan Dotson and Carson Wentz forming a connection in OTAs. Wentz apparently looking his way quite a bit. I'm really excited about what I'm seeing and hearing out of Jacksonville with regard to Travis Etienne. Michael Fabiano and I had him on our radio show a couple weeks back, Fantasy Dirt, and he was clearly eager to get back on the field and show everyone what he could do. And it sounds like he's looking like the guy that we expected him to look like last year before he got hurt. He's out there at OTAs making quick cuts and breaks and showing off that explosivity. Uh, he's super versatile. And especially since James Robinson is still recovering from that Achilles injury, he also appears to have a pretty clear path to the kind of volume that you want to see in fantasy, which makes his RB23 status with a 48 ADP very intriguing. There is a little bit of projection required there at that spot in the draft, but there's also quite a bit of upside, I think. As far as other players returning from injury, I love seeing Robert Woods out there cutting and running at Titans OTAs. 
very eager to see how he fits into that offense. And I think that there's some upside for him at his ADP also. 106 is roughly where he's been going. He's in the same range right now as Russell Gage, who's Tampa's, what, number three wide receiver? Christian Kirk, who I do like in fantasy. He's the number one guy in Jacksonville. At least we think he will be. There should be a lot of volume there. Um maybe at a bad offense, but maybe it'll get better. Uh, and also Garrett Wilson. So those are some wide receivers that you're seeing come off the board around the same time as Bobby Trees, just for perspective. Uh, it's been very good to see Kyler Murray out at practice. Was with the, well, I shouldn't say it's been very good. It was good uh, because he joined the Cardinals on the field on Wednesday for the very first time this offseason. But that's a good sign. Ravens still don't have Lamar Jackson out there. I do have concerns about that. And I will get into the reasons that I find that concerning today on the pod in my conversation with my outstanding guest from The Ringer, Stephen Ruiz. He is a very talented writer whose work I highly recommend you find and follow. He wrote a detailed breakdown of the matchup between Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey before the Super Bowl that I, I thought it was so smart. And so helpful in terms of anticipating what was important in the game. And I think that that's really where he like um, hopped onto my radar. And I've been reading his work since then. And he's just a really, really good follow and very smart football mind. I talk all the time about my goal on this podcast being to bring people on the show that I think can make you and me smarter football fans. And he definitely checks that box. If you listen to the ringer NFL pod, you've also heard him there. And if you listened to that pod last week, you heard him with my new favorite player or one of my favorite players, the only player that I've threatened to start a fan club for. And of course that is Justin Herbert. He was on their show. And as it turns out, Ruiz loves him just as much as I do. So that is where our conversation starts with effectively a gushy list of all the reasons that we love LA's number 10 so much. And some of those reasons are even football related. <laughs> let's break the huddle. Hello, let's go. Two on two on two. Ready? Three. So Steven, I have to tell you that I think we, A, we have a lot in common. I feel like just based on following you on social media, I feel like you're somebody I've never met before, but might be one of my people. Um, and that was only confirmed last week when it became abundantly clear that you like, like I am a, uh, like flag flying member of the Justin Herbert fan club. Oh, yeah. I, it's my goal to become the president of that fan club. Well, you're going to have to fight me for it. I've been running for a year. My campaign is going strong. Uh, when, whenever, like, Justin Herbert does something now, I get tagged in the replies of the tweets, which is <laughs> okay, very enjoyable. I, I enjoy being the Justin Herbert guy. Not too long ago, I was the the, the Josh Allen guy for the, the opposite reasons, for the wrong reasons. And then he, oh. he broke out. So I'm happy to be on the right side of history this time. <laughs> it does appear that you are. And I am incredibly jealous that you were able to talk to Justin Herbert last week on your podcast for the ringer. Um, how did that go for you? Uh, do you feel like you, it went the way that you wanted it to go and you represented your fandom in a way where you felt comfortable as, as you turned off the, the recording and you were like, I nailed that or damn it. I embarrassed myself. 
I, I felt like I nailed it. And I'm very hard on myself. Like I'm one of those people that has like a conversation. And then like for the rest of the day, I'm thinking about what I should have said. Not with Justin Herbert. He puts you at ease. That's why he he's a great, great quarterback. He's put you at ease. Okay. So this is one of the things that I specifically love about him. Okay. Off the field, right? Like there are a million things that we can get to them on the field that we love about Justin Herbert and his game. One of the things I find so endearing about him that makes him so easy to root for is that way that he goes out of his way to put you at ease. Um, he did in his, in his, uh, podcast with you guys, he kept saying like literally the point where I was laughing about it. He was like, thank you for saying that. That's really good to hear. Like it tells me a lot about him as a person and his character that he really wants, whether he gives two shits about the question that you just asked, or he really thinks it's a good question. He values, like he wants you to walk away from his experience with him having felt good about yourself in the experience. And I think that that's a really good, like human trait. It's like, it goes back to that whole thing about is the person nice to the, you know, the waiter, um, you know, the people that they don't need to be nice to. It's so abundantly clear to me that he prioritizes how you feel in your interaction. And I think that that's, that's, it's so, it's so endearing. I'm so happy you picked up on that because I picked up on it during the interview and I was like, this is the nicest guy ever. And there was an yeah. anecdote. I think Mina Kimes did a profile on him for last year. And there was an anecdote about them being in a grocery store parking lot and uh -huh. him like going out of his way to put the, gro uh, the grocery cart back, which is a thing for me. Like I get upset when the person I'm with doesn't do it. So like, yeah, I'm right there with Justin. And he does this other thing where it's like he doesn't think you know anything about him or like the fact that he's a famous quarterback <laughs> in the chart. He was like, like he's, so explaining, he's explaining like the end of the uh, the Raiders game situation to Kevin Clark in another <laughs> interview. And he's like, yeah, if we if we tied that game, we would have went to the playoffs. Like, yeah, we know, Justin. We know <laughs> we were all watching. I love it. So I did a um, like a virtual event with him in the fall that was like a Pepsi meet and greet type thing where I got to moderate a conversation. It was just me and Justin and a bunch of people like listening on a zoom fans. And he did the exact same thing to me. And that was my takeaway was just the overt, like kindness and generosity. Uh, so the moderator or the, the, the person from the event in, introduced me and then I introduced him. And so that person had given kind of my bio and then I spin it into his bio and then welcome him into the conversation. And he does this whole, like, well, your bio is so much more impressive than mine. I can't, I don't know how I'm going to follow that. And I was like, Oh, oh my God, that might've gone too far. Like to the point where it's just so obvious to everyone, like, Hmm, let's see like rookie of the year in the NFL or like covers it for quite a while. Uh, anyway, I, I find him so endearing. And I also think he's so normal. And I love one of the things I love about his background, um, is he like, he's not one of those guys that specialized. I have kids right now. Like I have an eight-year-old who's playing youth sports and it gets so intense. And one of the things that I have to constantly remind myself is like, it's fine not to get into the intensity. You know, there are examples everywhere of people who just play the sports and if they're good enough, it gets where it needs to go. And if it's not going to go there, then there's no need to treat it that way anyway. You know, and he uh, had all these examples, like he didn't go to any of the camps. He wasn't like doing seven on seven passing leagues every weekend. He was playing other sports. He was kind of like a late bloomer in that way. And I think that that's a a good example also, because clearly the cream has risen to the top in his case. 
yeah, he really never got the star treatment as like a recruit. Like even he grew up like a mile away from Oregon's campus and they recruited him late. I think that that speaks to the fact that he wasn't like out there and exposed to these camps. And I think that has kept him a little bit humble. I'm not saying I'm not like pushing back against quarterbacks that aren't because you made the NFL. You deserve to be a little confident. But with him, it's just striking and it really stands out and it's hard not to notice. And it, I, I've interviewed a lot of NFL players and you've interviewed way more. And it's it's a rare quality. I would it say. really is. And it's not to say that everybody has to be that way or anything like that. It's easy to understand how people get jaded with, you know, all of the different experiences that they have. There are some that are overtly like aggressively mean kind of unnecessarily not to name check people, but there are people out there that I've had really bad experiences with where they don't treat you like a human being at all, or like pretend like they don't hear you talking to them as they walk by, like, just say no, you know what I mean? Just look at me and say like, not right now and walk away as opposed to pretending like you don't hear the human being talking to you right next to you. Um, anyway, one of the stories that I did love about him that he told us, uh, in, in, on the event where I talked to him, he, I asked him about, so we talked about like how he grew up playing fantasy football and like, he was really, um, kind of excited about his success, you know, in a relatable way. And the teammate, I asked him the teammate or the person that he'd played against that he was most starstruck by, and I'm going to narrow it down to teammates. And you tell me who you think was his answer. It was a Chargers teammate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, was it Tyrod Taylor? Was it his rookie season? It was Jared Cook. Because oh, that's he, so funny. Because he had had Jared Cook on his fantasy team. That, yeah, and he was Jared so Cook's excited. Like a fantasy All Star. That this guy that had been on his fantasy team was now his teammate. I freaking love him. I love everything about him. I, by the way, went to, and then I'm going to move on from Justin Herbert. This is like a whole podcast about us. Just like, uh, anyway, uh, I went to a restaurant this weekend that he had happened to say in this event, someone had asked him like, what's your favorite restaurant? And he name checked a restaurant in Orange County. And I was at that restaurant this weekend and I'm with a big group of people. And so it pops into mind. I'm like, this is Justin Herbert's favorite restaurant. And I'm like, do I tell these? No, I'm not going to tell these people. Cause that's a creepy thing to relay. Right. Like, hi, we're at Justin Herbert's favorite restaurant. Like that's the kind of fan I am. Like I'm, you know, I didn't go there because of that. So I guess I'm not that kind of fan. I feel like you're the biggest competition for the, the Justin Herbert fan I, club. I'm fighting you role. for it. Right. Steven. Yeah. I'm fighting yeah. you for it. It's going to be a tough oh. campaign. What do you love about him on the field? Like from a football standpoint, why did he become your guy? I think I was drawn to him because of the big time throws, like the, the throws downfield, like everyone sees. But my theory is if you took away his big arm and you gave him, say, uh, I don't know, Kirk Cousins arm, he'd still be a top 10 quarterback. He's so good at the processing stuff. And that's where I think a lot of people missed on him before the draft, because he did play in this college offense at Oregon where they're running a bunch of RPOs. They're not asking him to play like an NFL quarterback. So when you don't see the evidence there on tape, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know if he can do it. But this guy starts from, I guess it was week three when Tyrod went out against the Chiefs. And he's he's handling the processing stuff like a 10-year pro. And it's just accelerated from year one to year two. I asked him about this on the ringer pod. I'm like, how do you know when a guy's open? That was such a good question, by the way. I made a note to compliment you on that question. It's something I've been fascinated by when I watch him because I watch him and I can press pause. I can rewind. I'm watching from the, the, the bird's eye view, the all 22 angle. And I can't see some of the stuff that he sees 
from the pocket in a matter of seconds. With and bodies think, flying at him, right? With, and that's the thing is he can handle pressure so well. He does not get a, enough credit for that. I don't think he gets enough credit for being the, the smart quarterback. He gets credit for being the big arm guy, the tall guy, the fast guy, the athlete. But no, this, I think Mike Tannenbaum, I interviewed him for a piece I did on Justin Herbert last year. He put it the best way. He said he can handle pressure in two ways. He can handle it like Aaron Rodgers, where he gets outside of the pocket and makes a play, or he can handle it like Tom Brady, where he just makes a quick decision. And he's never wrong with those decisions. And that's the best way to put it. He has both games in his in his bag, so to speak. And he can go to either one when the, the situation calls for it. He's People think it's a bit, but I think he's like the most technically sound quarterback in the NFL right now. And he's one of the best talents we've ever seen at this position. And if you talk to Chargers coaches behind the scenes, like coaches aren't going to put that type of praise on a player in public because it's too much pressure on a player, especially a third-year player. You talk to them behind the scenes and they're like, holy shit, this is like the greatest quarterback ever. Uh, and you I, see it on film. I, totally. I mean, just the the way he responds to pressure, not not like in the pocket, that type of pressure, but like mental pressure, the big moments, the fact that he's so good on third down, the, fa- the fact that the end of the game went for him the way that it did in that last game of the season for them against the Raiders was mind blowing. Now I was already like, you know, campaigning to be the president of the fan club and had put out multiple podcasts about this prior to that game. But I don't know how anyone could watch that game and not just be like, he's incredible. And whether I root for the chargers or not, my brother's a big Raiders fan. So we kind of clash about this because he just doesn't like the positivity about, you know, (laughs) his mortal enemies, but uh, you have to concede that he's fun to watch and he's an incredible quarterback. I think it's it's really interesting, though, one of the things that you guys talked to him about, which was kind of bounced off of that in terms of like what you're actually processing. Are you talking to yourself out loud like the middle of the field is closed? And so that means or is it just sort of like you practice it so much, you watch so much tape that it almost becomes like an instinct in that moment? You know, you can feel where it's going to be open without actually going through the thought process of like checking boxes. And I think that that's an interesting thing to explore because there are things that you do at a certain point when you, you, where you don't really actually think about doing them. You just know to do them kind of all of us have that not, not with regards to football on a football field, but I think it's interesting that, that a quarterback would be in that position where they're not actually out there kind of going, okay, that guy is close, you know, this is happening. That guy's here. That means that guy is there. Um, and I think that, that that was interesting to hear him talk about that. Are there any other players in the NFL that you feel this strongly about? Uh, I mean, the, the basic ones that everyone else talks about, like I think Patrick Mahomes has that same kind of instinct where it seems like Mahomes knows where all 21 players are on, on the field at once. Like he could just pause time and he knows where everyone is and knows what to do. I think he has that same skill set. It just looks a little more fluid and it looks like he's freestyling things a little more out there. Uh, Yeah. Out there uh, compared to Justin Herbert, but I don't think there's a quarterback like him. Like he's my comparison would be, he's like prime Drew Brees. If you gave him another six inches to his height and gave him a rocket arm, that's Mm -hmm. my comparison. And it's, and he plays in the same offense right now. And there were some concerns about him in that offense, just because he was a younger player who doesn't have experience in a pro style offense. And he just killed it. From day one, he was just the best quarterback in the NFL last year in this highly demanding offense. I I don't know why people still question him. Like people will question him to me. They'll be like, oh, he hasn't made the playoffs. Did you watch the Raiders game? 
did you watch the Raiders game? That man did everything he could possibly do to win that game. And the Chargers, the defense just let him down. He's, I think he's like one of the more competitive players. He, he raises his game on third down. He raises his game on fourth down in the fourth quarter. He's just the perfect quarterback. I don't know what else you would want from him. He's Dan Marino. He's Drew Brees. He's everything you want. I think it makes sense that especially casual football fans are having that conversation now, though, because there was a little bit of regression from an offensive standpoint. You know, obviously defenses started attacking them with the too high safety look. They had trouble getting around that. You saw him kind of um, regress to the mean in terms of turnovers, right? Like he had had. I don't know if you would call it luck or whatever, but like the law of averages was way out of whack on his side prior to last season. And so it kind of reverted to like what is expected based on the types of throws that he's making. Um, Do you think that they're going to see as many too high looks this year without Tyreek? Does that change the way that you defend them or do you keep rolling that out until you can, they can prove that they can beat it? I think like the makeover we saw, with this offense where you saw Tyree get shipped out. You saw them bring in uh, Juju. You saw them bring in MVS from Green Bay. Those two guys can block. And I think you're going to see a little more Ramsey style of offense where it's like condensed formations. We're going to be under center. We're going to have our receivers block. And I think that's going to open up. That's going to force defenses to get closer to the line of scrimmage. It's going to open up those deep shots. My theory was having Tyreek almost made it harder to hit on those, on those deep throws because defenses were selling out to stop Tyreek going deep and you get those coverage looks where it's like, we have to check it down underneath. And that was, I think that's what separated last year's offense from the the previous iterations we've seen of that offense is they just didn't have those explosive plays. And I would say taking away Tyreek might be like an addition by subtraction thing where now defenses aren't going to sell out. And if they do have a run game, they're not going to be able to sell out to stop the deep plays and maybe MVS will combine with another receiver, maybe Nicole Hardman, to kind of replicate Tyreek's deep success by committee. Do you believe, based on what you've seen on tape, that Nicole Hardman is somebody that we should count on to step up and fill some of that void? I've always wondered with him, like, you know, you're kind of waiting for it to hit. And you're not sure how much of it is that it's not hitting just because the offense is so dramatically centered around Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Nicole's just kind of like, you know, also there and, or whether it was because he didn't step up and do what he needed to do when they did go to him. Uh, I think it's a combination of both. I, I really like Nicole as a player. I think he's underrated. I think he's kind of, he's been the odd man out, so to speak, because of they have had those other options and, people from the outside looking in kind of like disrespect his game. I think the one thing that separates from Ty- him from Tyreek and it's going to make it hard for him on his own to replicate what Tyreek did was he's not like a contested catch guy. Tyreek was small, but he could go up and get it. He was like a Steve Smith kind of like where he's undersized a, a downfield threat, but he could still go up and win the 50, 50 ball. Nicole's not going to make contested catches. So I think now that he's not being like pigeonholed into the Tyreek role like he was at the end of last year, and maybe they'll drop stuff to get him wide open, I think he'll be better, if that makes sense. And I think, like I said, the other guys they have around him now are going to force defenses to change how they play. So I I just don't think he's going to have as many contested catch situations as he did last year. And I think that's going to help him be more efficient. I don't know if like we're going to see a huge spike in production, but I think we're going to see more of his talent this year. You've been tweeting a lot lately about Davis Mills. What oh, yes. what inspired that trip? 
uh, into that particular rabbit hole. Off-season boredom. No, I'd like, I've had Texans fans be like, have you watched Davis Mills yet? Like, I want to hear your, your opinion on him because I think they're really excited about him. And he's one of those quarterbacks that's going to drive fan bases insane. Like, mm. we're going to be having those is he good conversations for like the next decade because I do think he's that's good enough great. to start. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes time to pay him, I don't know if you want to pay him because he is like, he's like your typical quarterback that you see that gets carried by an offense like he he's smart they already have him running everything at the line of scrimmage was it's very impressive for a rookie and it makes sense because he played at a pro style offense at Stanford but and like if the play is open like the plate works as designed he's going to get the ball to the to the open receiver the problem is what happens when the play doesn't work as designed and he's just not comfortable in the pocket which is kind of weird for a quarterback of his style like he looks like a pocket passer He's big, he's tall, he's got the, the strong arm, although I don't think his arm is as strong as people make it out to be. But he loves to get outside the pocket. And he's a little, he's better, he's a better athlete than we give him credit for. And he likes to use that athleticism a little too much. And I don't think you, you can make it as like a pocket passer if you're not perfect in the pocket. And he's just not, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. My question is, when does it happen? Because if it happens while he's on his rookie contract, that's a great value, like a, a what a top 20 starting quarterback on making 2 million a year. That's great value. But when you have to pay him like 25 million a year on his second contract, he's not the quarterback that's going to carry an offense. Well, at least he's on the perfect team right now where like, if it takes a few years to kind of get that answer, it's okay. Cause the Texans aren't going anywhere for a few years anyway. So it would almost be frustrating if he was like, you know, and look, you found the next Justin Herbert and they're like, great. Our whole team sucks. Like right. we can't maximize this at all. Um, so Davis Mills, what specifically do you think are the things that he needs to get better at? Are there any things that like what tips the scale into the, you know, you might be kind of highly average for the rest of your life. I, I think he just needs to flip the aggression switch. Like I compared it. I mean, I call them a Gen Z Derek Carr. And the thing with Derek Carr was like, he's so talented. You watch him and you're like, God, I just wish he was more aggressive. Like he checks the ball down too often and he doesn't, you know, throw into tight windows often enough. But I, I feel like that flip has switched for Derek Carr over the last couple of years. And we've seen him perform like a top 10 quarterback for like three years running now. The problem is it happened, what, like eight, 10 years into his career. And he's kind of stuck in that purgatory between like an elite quarterback who can, who can carry a team and those quarterbacks that kind of get carried by their team. He's in the middle of that. And it's hard to build a roster around that. And that's what, that's my worry with Davis Mills. I think he's good enough to start for a very long time. I, I just think you have to, you have to hit on him before that second contract. You have to good, put a good team around him, which they haven't done yet. And he has to take another two steps in his development and maybe turn on that aggression uh, switch. And then I think he he could be a quarterback that that leads his team to uh, to the playoffs. But if it doesn't happen soon, I have a hard time seeing him being that type of quarterback that can just carry a team on its own. For Derek, what do you see that you think is his fault when in the instances when he has not had the pieces around him? Like what part of it falls on him? You know, because there are obviously a lot of there are type there are guys. I guess you could compare him to like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. He's going to find a way a different way if he doesn't have those outstanding pieces around him. And he has proven that he's not that guy, but I, I, there have been rosters that he's had around him where you go, I don't, I don't know what 
based on the quarterback that he is the stylistic quarterback that he is. I don't know what he should have done differently. What specifically have you found that maybe frustrates you about Derek Carr at times? I, and I, it's hard to put into words. Like, I don't want to say like he should be throwing more interceptions because that obviously sounds stupid and you don't want to throw interceptions, but he should be taking more risks. And I think there were things he said earlier in his career that kind of hinted at him maybe caring about his stats too much and his efficiency numbers. Like there was one instance, I think they were playing Philly on Monday night and he checked it down on a Hail Mary situation at the end of that. There's like three seconds left. Instead of throwing right. it to the end zone, throwing yeah. an interception, he checks it down. And he's like, well, you don't want to throw an interception there. And like, why not? Like, You're like, it's a Hail Mary. <laughs> All you care about is whether or not it succeeds. If it doesn't succeed, who cares how it doesn't succeed? And then we've seen him throw the ball away on fourth down a couple times in yeah. the red zone, which is kind of odd because it's fourth down. It's going to be a turnover anyway. I think there was a time where he was paying attention to his stats a little too much and he he kind of hinted at it. And I, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think he's, if he was this quarterback when he was on his rookie contract, I think the, the Raiders that year when they went to the playoffs, I know he got hurt, but if he stays healthy, I think that's a viable Super Bowl team. The offense around him was that good. I, I really think he has flipped that switch though, where he is a, he's a, a top 10 quarterback now. I would not have said that even three years ago, but now he's been more aggressive I think the Raiders did a good job of putting weapons around him. Henry Ruggs, before that whole incident happened, was starting to break out as a deep threat, and Derek Carr was starting to trust him and just throwing the ball out there. I think he trusts Darren Waller. He'll throw into tight windows with him. I think it was gaining the trust of the receivers because as good as Amari was, Amari tended to, to take some plays off, and he wasn't the best in contested catch situations. He wasn't the most reliable receiver, and maybe that's what was – inspiring Derek Carr not to throw into those tight windows. And now that he has receivers, he can trust Hunter Renfro is another one. Maybe that's what, you know, really flipped the switch for him. But that, that would be my answer. Like the, the lack of aggression early on in his career. But I think he solved that. My question is, is it too late now? He's the obvious choice. I think for me, if you were to do one of those like off season tropes of dark horse MVP candidates, um, because they clearly have the potential to get to the playoffs. And then once you're in, then, you know, so if they are at all better than we expect them to be, I think Derek Carr is going to get a ton of credit, much like we saw before when he was an MVP candidate, right? Like they outplay everybody's expectations. Quarterback is doing well. That's the person who moves into the MVP race. Is there anybody else that jumps out at you as being a guy that can be in that type of a position based on expectations? He's won MVP before, but I think Lamar Jackson is being undersold this offseason. I think people forget how good he was over the first half of the season. He was in the MVP conversation before everything fell apart. He got sick. He got COVID. The injuries really started to mount for the Ravens. They were preseason. But he was holding that team together and holding that offense together. And it was the best we've ever seen him play. His first half last year, just throwing the ball was way better than his MVP season. He's more accurate now. He's working with Tom House this offseason. And I think that's like the one, that's the one guy that could solve the issue he's had as a thrower. I fucking love Tom House. Yeah, he's amazing. Like, Steven, I am, I am. So this is kind of like, I might be on Justin Herbert level, like also oh, really? another fan club of Tom House. Everything I read from him on Twitter, I'm like, relaying it to my husband who coaches my son's youth baseball team. I'm like, this is brilliant. Got to use this. Like, I just love him. You go to your husband. You're like, why aren't you Tom house? 
Totally. (laughs) Totally. I can't tell you how many things I've like DM'd him like, you know, like nerdy, like, Hey, I think that your stuff is great. (laughs) Like, I I don't think people realize how important he was to Tom Brady becoming the Tom Brady. We know. Cause like that first part of Tom Brady's career, it was kind of like, is he a game manager? Is he just like benefiting from this? And then obviously he broke out in 2007 that coincided with him working with Tom house. He became a better downfield thrower after working with Tom house. And I think Lamar might get this uh, a similar boost. I, I really think people get Lamar wrong. Yeah. Like they're like, oh, he's not, a, he's not like a sophisticated passer, whatever that means. But you watch him play. He's one of the more craftier passers in the league. Like every arm angle he could throw from, he, he throws a touch. He flicks it over the second level of the de- uh, defense. It's like watching like late career Philip Rivers, really watching him throw. My concern is he doesn't have like that power fastball. And I think Tom House is the guy. He's a baseball guy. He's the guy to give you that power fastball. If Lamar gets it and the Ravens offense stays healthy, I would not be surprised if we get 2019 Lamar. Are we concerned at all? And I understand that, you know, it's the offseason OTAs are voluntary fully, uh, totally like to each his own. I'm a little bit concerned about him not being there for this reason, not because I think he needs the reps but because he is surrounded by a wide receiving core this year that I am concerned about. I have no idea who's going to break out at this position. They have such a lack of experience. We're looking at starting receivers there unless something changes in Bateman and Duvernay and Prochet that have combined for 116 NFL catches, 1,204 receiving yards, and a whopping three touchdowns. By comparison, Jalen Waddell, after one year, not even Jamar Chase, but Jalen Waddle, after one year, had 104 catches, uh, 1,015 receiving yards, and six touchdowns. That's one guy after one year in like a good but not the best rookie receiving season compared to the three starting wide receivers that the Ravens are working with. They need reps. They need OTAs. They need to develop all of this offseason rhythm and chemistry and stuff like that, and Lamar isn't there. Yes, that is a big concern. And like Rashad Bateman, who's going to be the number one receiver, they played six games together last year because Bateman was hurt in training camp. Then Lamar got hurt. Lamar got sick. And it, they just never got to be on the field for a lot of snaps. When they were on the field, there was a good connection there. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, that's the major concern. But I do think the lack of receiving talent kind of helps his MVP case. If he just puts up like oh, numbers. Because it's a narrative award. Yeah, it's a narrative award. Don't mm-hmm. don't forget that. It, like you overcame that. Overcomes the receiver thing. They make the playoffs. I think they're going to win the NFC or the AFC North. I think it's just an easy. I don't think the bar is too high for him to win it. That's why I'm really high on him, and I think he's a great player who's being underrated right now. Why do you think they're going to win the AFC North? Like clearly, you're a big fan of them. Does it have anything to do with the other teams that are in the AFC North, like the Bengals? Who <laughs> you know, uh, are you expecting a step back? No, I think I think the Bengals are going to be a better team. Like they fixed the offensive line. I don't know if they built a great offensive line, but anything's better than last year. hundred percent. But yeah. they did have a lot of luck go their way. Like opponents missed a bunch of field goals. They got hurt a lot. They played a lot of injured opponents, including the Ravens. They won the division at 10 and seven. Like it wasn't like a dominant regular season. I think they finished like 18th in DVOA over the regular season. They were nine yards away from losing to the Raiders in the wild card game at yep. home. We forget yep. that. Like the margins are really thin. They could be a better team and end up with a, a, a similar record. And they're playing a first place schedule this year. Also, after playing a last place schedule the year before, 
I, I could very much see them being a better team and still having the same results. Whereas the Ravens, I mean, what did they lose? Like five straight one possession games at the, at the end of the year. They were in first place before everything went to hell. It's just a bounce back year for the Ravens. I think the defensive uh, staff changes are going to help a lot. They're going to get their secondary back. They had a good draft. I don't know. I Always. think it's just, it's just the writing's on the wall. I think the Ravens are going to win a lot of games. And with the AFC West kind of like eating its own, I think there's a good chance they earn the number one seed. And if that's the case, and Lamar puts up good numbers, I think he's one of the favorites for MVP. Okay, so follow-up question there for our fantasy audience. If they're going to win the AFC North, they're going to score a shit ton of touchdowns, right? Like who's scoring them for them? Who would you who would you go grab outside of Mark Andrews and Lamar, who have obvious fantasy value? Who else is in the mix? I would go with Rashad Bateman. I really like Rashad Bateman. I thought he was one of the better receivers in that class. I'm surprised he dropped as far as he did. And when he was on the field, like you don't get a lot of opportunities in that offense as a receiver just because of how Greg Roman calls the game. Uh-huh. But on third down, he was he was Lamar's go-to guy. He, he converted a lot on third down. He moved the sticks a lot. And I think that's going to translate over the full course of the season. If you're making plays when it's hardest to make plays for a receiver because you're getting a lot of man coverage, you're getting a lot of blitz looks, you're getting a lot of safety help. If you're making plays in those situations, it's a lot easier to make plays on first down when there's a bunch of linebackers on the field and they're playing like, regular zone coverage. So I see an expanded role. Just, I think the production is going to be there. I would say like 1100 yards, eight touchdowns. I would not be surprised. What about the running backs? I like JK Dobbins. I think he's a safe pick. I know there's always concern with the Ravens because they have a lot of mouths to feed, including Lamar, who's going to take up a lot of the, the rushing production. But JK Dobbins is a player that you design part of your scheme around. And it's someone they didn't have last year because he went down injured in training camp, I believe. They had no screen game whatsoever. They threw the fewest amount of screens in the league. I think they're going to have a screen game because J.K. Dobbins' talent demands that. So I could see him getting a lot of receptions. I think he's going to be the guy that gets the carries in the high red zone. And he's an explosive runner. He's going to take advantage of those light boxes they kind of see because Lamar has so much gravity. and He forces defenders to account for him. I can see Dobbins having a big year. Okay, so you like the Ravens in the AFC North. What about the AFC West? How are you ranking all four teams? This answer is going to lose me the the, the Herbert fan club presidency. I still <gasps> have the Chiefs. I still have okay. the Chiefs. I'm, I'm not betting against the Chiefs. They're the new Patriots. I'm not betting against them until someone really dethrones them, and it hasn't happened yet, at least in the division. So you're not worried about the wide receiving core and you just think like it just looks different next year and it's all fine. Yeah, I think it just looks different. I'd be more concerned if Andy Reid wasn't involved. Like I know the new version of Andy Reid has always had Kelsey. He's always had Hill. But you go back to Philly in those early days when he had James Thrash and uh, Freddie Mitchell, Fred X, and they were going to the NFC Championship every year. I don't see that being an issue for uh, an Andy Reid offense. And I, and I have a lot of trust in Spagnola, the uh, defensive coordinator. I think he's going to carry over that momentum they had over the second half of last year into this year. And I think you're going to see a better defense over the course of the season. It's still, it's still the Chiefs division for me. And then I'm obviously putting the Chargers first because they have an alien at quarterback. Staley second, at, first after them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. First after the Chiefs. Brandon Staley has his dudes now. 
he has his dudes now. He has J.C. Jackson. He has uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, uh, Morgan Fox, two guys from the Rams. They have a defense now that he can coach up, and I, I, I see them being a top five team next year. I'm less bullish on the Broncos. Me too. I've got them last. I'm with you. I, I just Russ is he's a strange quarterback, man. I, I think people like have been hesitant to say it. It's always been the case. You can't run a normal offense with Russ. Like you just can't. He's just that style of quarterback. In what he way? makes it worse. He, I think he needs to play, and it's because of his height. And I know we don't like to shame shorter quarterbacks. It, like Drew Brees made it. This Russell is an Wilson eval. It. It's not a shaming. Yeah, it's it's an eval, not a shaming. He's made it work. But you look at his like passing heat maps over the last couple of years, he just doesn't throw over the middle of the field. He can't see over his line. I don't know if it's whether he can't see over his line or he's just not comfortable reading that part of the field. But you have to make an offense out of deep shots to the perimeter. And we know how volatile those are because anything can go wrong if you're chucking it 50 yards downfield. And now all of a sudden he doesn't have DK Metcalf, who is one of the better deep threats in the league. He doesn't have Tyler Lockett, who might be the best deep deep threat in the league. I don't know. It's going to be an adjustment period. It always is. Whenever they hired a new offensive coordinator, coordinator, there'd be an adjustment period. And then they'd kind of go back to the old Russ offense and they figured it out. I think that's what we're going to see in Denver this year. I have concerns about him without the people around him. Like, and I understand that he was coming back from an injury last year. And so we didn't necessarily see the best Russ, but they insisted that he was fine. And it never came out after the season that like, we were lying, really, he needs surgery. Like, so I have concerns about Russell Wilson's play, individually speaking. Um, I am not a hundred percent. I don't think that they upgraded at, from a wide receiver standpoint. Like, where did he get better around him? You know, the O-line? Like, it, but the running backs are very good. Um, we don't know if the coaching is going to be better. We don't know if the play calling is going to be better. There, there are a lot of question marks for me. I'm not sure how much to go in on Jerry. Like there's a lot of people, you know, going back to fantasy. It's like, okay, Jerry, Judy, like, uh, there you go. He, his ADP certainly goes up because now he has Russell Wilson. He's got, and I see that like Teddy Bridgewater is a problematic quarterback for offenses. If you are looking to accomplish much of anything except prolonged drives, perhaps, right? Like, high percentage shots and you hope you can string enough of them together. That's never going to help an individual player look amazing. So in that sense, I get it. They're going to have more opportunities to catch those, you know, deep shots or, you know, contested catches, whatever, like they're going to have more chances to shine, but I've, because I haven't seen them do it. I don't know for a fact that they can do it. I don't know whether they were part of the problem with the offense in Denver last year. I don't know that answer. So it's hard for me to go all in on like Russell Wilson, who has been a good quarterback in this league. All of a sudden there's the answer. Denver uh, is in the Super Bowl. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I think you had other teams in the exact same division make massive improvements to their team too, that have quarterback play where and wide receiver play that I know what I'm getting. So it's pretty easy for me to put the Broncos at the bottom. And I think from a betting standpoint, I like that. I feel so strongly about it because it's easy for me to go like, I'm going to take the under and I'm going to, you know, whatever, like the chargers in April were like, please put your money on them to win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? The odds were insane, but yeah. And I think we're discounting head coaching. Like they have a rookie head coach who hasn't really called plays. They have a rookie defensive coordinator who's never called plays. 
And I don't know about you, but I feel like Pete Carroll is kind of underrated. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he was held up as the villain to Russ being the hero in Seattle, like how he ran his offense, how he ran the team. He was outdated or whatever. I don't know. He's a good head coach. He wins. Like he won in New They went to the playoffs when he was with New England before Belichick got there. He wins games. And we don't, we can't say that about Hackett yet. We don't know. We don't know what his defensive coordinator, how his defensive coordinator is going to do. He's replacing Vic Fangio, which is, those are big shoes to fill. That's a big one. That's a big takeaway on the defensive side of the ball. Yes. And I, I mean, they got better on the defensive line, but is this the coach that's going to take advantage of those pieces? There's going to be that those growing pains for the offense. Maybe next year it looks a lot better. Maybe we see like a full season of the team, like hitting their stride. But this year, the margin is so thin in that division with those, those teams, those three teams, especially the Chargers and the Chiefs, that where if you slip up in September, it's going to be hard to make up ground. I want to be contrarian and go like Chargers, Raiders, Chiefs, Broncos. But don't do it. Don't, don't bet I don't on the Raiders. I know if I can do it. I kind of want to bet on the Raiders though, specifically because I think, I think that they're going to be better than a lot of people. This is again, uh, like I feel more strongly than the market does. And so I kind of want to go all in on it. What's their win total? Uh, I don't know. Let me pull that up. I've, I've, I've looked at it before and I've argued with people about it. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Come on. That's, I think I'm with you. I think that's I'm with you. fewer wins than they had last year. They got way better. And I know that there's still questions in the secondary. And I know that there's still questions about the offensive line, but also questions about the offensive line and offensive line that has played together. So the problem is, oh, they didn't improve their offensive line enough. Well, we've seen historically offensive play, offensive line play get better with reps, right? So if you have guys that are going into, you know, year two or three, they are probably going to get better just because they have those reps. We see that historically. And now you've got guys who have, who have reps together as an O-line, like having played together. So I think that you could see, and we have seen O-lines just get better and suddenly start to play better than we've seen them play in the past. I don't know that the eval on individual O-line players is like the be all end all. So I think that I'm less concerned about the concerns on the O-line. Obviously, that's a hugely important piece of the team. I just think that the way that trajectories tend to be for offensive lines, that they are probably going to be better than they were last year. And I think better than last year might be good enough with the other offensive pieces that they put around them. And so then you're pointing to the secondary and saying that's a concern. And it is a concern, but there are still some opportunities to add some pieces maybe. I do, I do think this offense has a chance to be a top five offense. And yes. if you have a top five offense, you can make the playoffs and you can win nine games. Certainly Josh McDaniels is a big deal to me because Derek Carr is so good at the line of scrimmage and like controlling the offense. And one thing you can't really do in that, that Gruden it's, it's kind of related to the McVay Shanahan type of offense is they like to sequence plays. So they, the, the coaches don't really like you calling audibles and making a lot of changes at the line. I think that's not the case in, in new England's the new England style of offense where Tom Brady was basically his own coach at the line of scrimmage, giving Derek Carr that freedom, I think it's going to make him a lot better. And he's the guy, he's the guy who's proven that he can handle that freedom. Like that's the one thing that people consistently say about him is that he can handle that. Yeah. And you've, you've seen it from like day one. Yep. When he got to Oakland, you could see it. And I, I think 
giving him the keys to the offense is a good thing. And it helps you mitigate the offensive line issues because you have a quarterback who can solve protection issues, who could switch to a play where he just gets the ball out quickly. I, I really like that fit. I like the Josh McDaniels, Derek Carr fit. Maybe there's a personality clash that happens there. You never know. I know that's like the book on Josh McDaniels. How is there a personality clash with Derek Carr? Like nobody clashes personality wise with Derek Carr. Nobody. We would never find out about it if it actually happened, by the way. Well, if someone's capable of doing it, I think Josh McDaniels is our man. <laughs> <laughs> He's, the ultimate test. He's really high on the asshole chart. Yeah, exactly. But by all accounts, the relationship is going, is going well. And like, I know it's early, but we saw how fast that relationship with Jay Cutler went downhill with uh, Josh <laughs> well, McDaniels. So um, this is an accomplishment. Um, <laughs> I like you could not come up with a more extreme example where you're like, I kind of get it though. Like years later, that would, that would turn anyone into that person. Potentially those two personalities. Holy hell. Who put them together? Coaching Jay Cutler for like a month convinced Josh McDaniels to use a first round pick on Tim Tebow. Oh, my God. Oh yeah. There is a big question mark on Josh McDaniels. I think, and you know, this has been a long time since he's been a head coach, like a lot of time has passed since that Tim Tebow team. So I'm curious to see how different he is as a head coach, how his personality is different. Um, how about the team he leaves behind though? And what there, I mean, I don't know what Bill Belichick is going through in terms of not naming any coaches, not telling us anything that they're doing. He's taking like that secretive Patriot way thing to the nth degree. Do you think that they are going to be better this year than they were last year or worse? I think they're worse. I think they have to be worse almost. I think the bills are better. I think the dolphins are better. I think the jets are better. And if those teams are taking a step forward, somebody has to take a step back. And I'm having a hard time seeing where the big improvements are for this team. They just lost their best defensive player, JC Jackson. That changes how fundamentally they call the defense. They used to play a lot of man coverage. You can't do that with Jalen Mills as like your most experienced corner. And then I, the Devontae Parker addition, I think helps. It just doesn't solve their issue, which is a lack of team speed. And maybe he's going to return to that one year when he was really dominating on the outside. And if that happens, I think the offense has a chance, but if not, and he's just like an average player, it's going to be hard for Mac Jones. The problem last year, and they really fell off at the end of the year. The first part of the year, everything was working how it was supposed to. Mac Jones was producing, and then defense just started crowding them and crowding them, getting closer to the line of scrimmage, the linebackers getting closer to the line of scrimmage, the safeties. And New England like ended up having to play their offense in this like tiny box in between the numbers zero to 10 yards downfield and defenses just had to worry about that area. And if they shut that down, they had no answer because they have no speed on the outside. And Mac Jones isn't a player who's going to force a, a pass defense to cover every yard of the field. Cause he's not going to scramble and he doesn't have a big arm where he's testing you outside the numbers a lot. It was very claustrophobic. I think is the best way to put it. And nothing during this off season has shown me that it's going to be different this year coming up. So I think there's going to be issues. And then you throw in Joe judge, maybe calling the offense uh, on top of that. And I have concerns. I have concerns. Get ready for that QB sneak. (laughs) What, uh, Mike, the, the, the only thing that I file away, because everything you said is correct is like Belichick is so smart and he's always three steps ahead. He's an awful drafter. We have a lot of sample size where I feel comfortable saying that 
but it feels like, like what you said about the secondary and the cornerback position, like he's not going into it saying we want to do this. And, oh, look, we don't have anybody. Let's not like, I feel like he would have, he would have done it. I feel like I have to give him the benefit of the doubt that he has a plan and that these pieces fit the plan. And so while they don't look good on paper, this is a team that historically is better than they look on paper. Like their wide receiving core is always, they always operate better as a unit than they actually uh, look like individually. I went back and looked at some PFF numbers for like, you know, how they have all those like deep stats on everybody like Kendrick Bourne and like these guys actually played better than they looked from a fantasy standpoint, right? Like none of them are usable because the stats are never off the charts. You never know who it's going to be on any given week, but just in terms of, if you go and you look at their individual grades, they played fine, which tells me that the Patriots are putting them in specific positions and it's, you know, like you're, you're just never going to blow up individually, but you're going to play better as a unit. And so I don't know how to evaluate them until I see them on the field because of the history of the Patriots. Yeah. They've earned that benefit of the doubt. Like Belichick has earned that. I'm not going to question them being, they're going to be a good team at the very least. They're going to be a good team. My concern is like, what's their high end range of outcomes. And I don't think it's that high. I, I think there is a limit on what this team can be. Losing JC Jackson was huge. I, Last year, they were a team that really won the field position battle. Like, I think the offense had the best average starting field position, which really helps when you're an offense, like you said earlier, that has to string together plays to score touchdowns. You need that field position. And if they're not getting turnovers on defense, where you look at that roster right now and you're like, where are the turnovers coming from? Where are the explosive plays coming from? And I I just can't find them. Maybe Belichick produces them with his scheme, but if they're not getting turnovers, it's going to be tough. Why did they let him go then? Why that's always the question. did they not fight for that? That that's my that's my red flag. That's my concern. There is like, I, you know, they know better than anybody. And I'm not saying J.C. Jackson's not great. And I again, that's one of the things that I've factored into my Chargers eval and like why I love them so much are the moves that they made on the defensive side of the ball. But like, I don't know how much to ding the Patriots if they're like, that's fine, go. Yeah, and it wasn't a crazy contract either, Mm-mm. which makes you raise your eyebrows a little more. Yeah. I, I think they're they're shifting the way they play defense. That's my theory. That's the, the theory I've been throwing out is I think they're going to a more zone-heavy kind of defense. That's just where the league in general is going, and Belichick is always out ahead of the curve. And if you're, if you're not playing a lot of man coverage, J.C. Jackson kind of loses that value because that's what he's good at. He's good at locking down a receiver in man coverage. And if he's not doing that, then maybe you don't want to pay $19 million a year to a cornerback. There's like a famous quote from Mike Zimmer where he's like, I can go down to the 7-Eleven and find a cover two cornerback. And maybe that's Belichick's approach to the position now is that we're going to play a lot of cover two. We're going to play a lot of zone. We're not going to ask our cornerbacks to do a lot. And maybe we shouldn't be splurging on that position now. I assume you play fantasy. Okay. First pick in a rookie dynasty draft. What are you doing? Uh, that's a good question. I, uh, I may or may not have had the first pick in a rookie dynasty draft that started yesterday. And I spent my whole day in my head about this. So what position, tell me what position you went with. Well, I went with wide receiver. 
Okay. That was that I that's what I would have gone with. Okay. Because I okay, so just to preface this, I did some Googling just to, you know, looking for somebody to um confirmation, looking for a confirmation bias, right? I am worried about Brees Hall going into a committee on a bad offense. And in addition to that, nobody thinks Brees Hall is like Najee Harris, right? Like everyone says like this class does not have a Najee Harris or Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. Like nobody's like a sure thing. There's just a lot of talent, but like there's nobody like that. That's like, boom, that's your guy. So that in mind, I don't like those components. I, I don't like it. So I didn't want Brees Hall. And then I got the freaking first pick. And I was like, well, this is the worst position to be in because I went Googling for anyone, any set of rankings. I wanted someone to rank anyone but Brees Hall number one in this type of draft. Could not find it. Everybody has Brees Hall as the number one rookie dynasty draft selection. And so I spent all day long trying to trade the pick. Like, does anyone want to come up and get it? I will make a move. I send out trade offers. I am not a trader. Like this girl right here is super risk averse. And I hate putting myself in a position where I feel like I would rather have the fifth pick and let let someone fall to me. But like starting the dominoes and going out on a limb, I hate that feeling. A lot of pressure. You felt so like much a, pressure. That's how NFL GMs felt this draft. They were trying to trade the pick yes. and they just couldn't. I didn't want to be the Jaguars. I didn't want to do it wrong. I, I feel like I have an answer that's not common. Okay. Chris Olave would have been my pick. Really? Yes. Okay. Tell me why. Because I don't think that there's, I actually don't think there's a wrong answer. Like the wide receiver group is super bunched. So I'm curious about why you say Olave. I think he's the safest bet. And like you, I'm a coward. I'm going to go yeah. with the safest bet. I think like totally. we could pencil him in for 90 catches every year and at least a thousand yards and probably six touchdowns. He's like that. He's pro ready. He's good. He's going to get open. He got open in college. He's going to get open in the pros. He, he has good hands. He's fast. Like it's a sure thing. So I'm going Chris Olave. I trust the saints. I know Sean Payton is gone, but I trust that brain trust. I think it's a smart coaching staff. Jameis is a quarterback. That's going to give you, he's going to give his rod receivers opportunities. He's going to. He's going to throw it downfield. We know this. And you don't get points docked for him throwing interceptions, do you? So Chris Olave is my pick. I think he's the surest thing of the receivers. I don't trust those the Jets. I would not take any of the Jets. I would not take, like you said, I would not take Brees Hall, especially that coaching tree. They hate running. They fall out of love with running backs like in an instant. So no, I would not. I would not take that risk. Drake London, I would give some thought to, but I don't know what's going on with that Falcons offense. And Kyle Pitts is going to just eat the red zone targets. He's going to eat them all up. I took Drake and I took Drake partially because of opportunity. Obviously, you have to factor that in. Now it's dynasty. So you don't want to like completely overreact to that. And that's that's my answer to the fact that he has a he's on a shitty team and he has a shitty, you know, well, er, shitty er quarterback, right? Like in a perfect world, you don't want to draft a wide receiver who is uh, being thrown the ball to by uh, Marcus Mariota, who, uh, in my opinion, should be a backup. So that's less than ideal. But the fact that I think they're going to be behind, I think the Falcons are freaking awful. I think they're awful. Like, I, I think their win total is four and I would go under. Like, I don't like that team. I don't see where the wins are going to come from. And 
to me, that just spells tons of opportunity. Like you are a clear cut. You are their wide receiver one. Kyle Pitts is going to get the ball, but there's going to be tons of opportunity. I'm hoping that he's as good as everyone thinks that he is. Plus, I want to root for a Trojan. Um, So I did Drake London with the hopes that he is the best wide receiver that comes out of this draft. But I feel like there are this is that kind of draft where like, I don't know, the guy who goes eighth in, you know, your dynasty draft uh, amongst rookies could end up being the best guy. Like, I think it's it's a real, you know, darts at a dartboard type situation. Drake London would have been my second pick. And I, I thought Drake London was the best receiver in this draft class. Uh, I love Drake London, man. He's so big and he can move. Like I, I tweeted about him last year. I was watching uh, Amon Amon Ross St. Brown last year's draft, and I he kind of caught my eye. I was like, "Who's this huge tight end looking guy that can move?" And it was Drake London. I like want to be. You know how like pro wrestlers used to have like managers, like they would yeah. come down and like hype him up. I want to be his man. You want to be that guy. Like I want to hit like cornerbacks in the back with like a steel chair when the ref's not looking for him to get him open for like, Drake. Yeah. For Drake London. He's my guy. Why, why was my USC team so bad with all of these the quarterback. guys, the quarterbacks. I'm sorry. I, I watched, I watched some uh, USC film to, for draft prep. And I was like, who are these quarterbacks? I know they're supposed to be good. Like Slavis. I know. I think he, he transferred, but not good. No. No, you have a you have like a, a basketball player at receiver who can catch bubble screens and take them 20 yards. And how is your offense not good? I blame coaching. No, I think that's a good point too. Drake with with Lincoln Riley would have been special. Oh my God. It's gonna be so fun moving forward. I hate that it's all happening though, under circumstances that I don't really love. Like we're kind of getting we're getting a lot of players in some gross ways, like not breaking the rules. I just I think there should be some rules about the rules right like it's like the wild west there's not like that slow build either it's like yes. instant like instant rose bowl contenders like if yeah okay. I, I get what you're saying yes Ugh. okay so uh is the tommy fam last question jock peterson fantasy football argument the best news story of the year or one of the best news stories of the year my favorite thing that's happened yeah. in a very long time. Like I literally laugh uncontrollably reading the very serious news accounts of this disagreement about a fantasy football draft and watching Jock Peterson in all seriousness with a total straight face, like bring the receipts is so entertaining to me. We talked about, we started this podcast talking about relatability with regards to Justin Herbert, like who can't relate to taking a fantasy football league way too seriously. Yeah. I, I think Jock Peterson's role, it, he's like the, the main part, like him explaining in the locker room, what happened with that look on his face, the tone with yeah. which he was speaking was like perfect. Like I thought it was fake. I thought it was like a bit they were doing. So did my husband. He's convinced he was, he was convinced that it was fake. I, I was convinced too, until the suspension happened. Then I was like, all right, this is real. And it's, it's the funniest thing ever. It's the best thing that's ever happened in fantasy football in, in my experience whose side are we on <sighs> i think i'm on Jock's side yeah i think you have hearing to him ex- explain it i think i'm on his side but i get the frustration he is he, I, i'm not gonna fault tommy fan i'm not going to i'm gonna fault him for hitting him right like yes, disclaimer yes. we do not condone violence on this podcast but uh in terms of 
taking it too seriously. I think that's also relatable, right? Like, and I think we can all relate to being like, but there's this thing and I can't get my brain past the fact that you are ruining the league. (laughs) Um, So also, can you put players who are not on injured reserve in an injured reserve spot on your roster? Like if they're just out randomly, can you just move them to IR? I don't feel like I have that that ability in my life. I don't think I have either. I've, I've had like a slot when like a guy does get put on IR where you, right. could, put, you could stash him, but I've never had. Or pup or suspension. Right. I could never like game the system. No. So maybe we're blaming the wrong person. Wasn't Mike Trout the commission? I know, right? Well, yes. Well, Tommy Pham is blaming him. So. Yeah, I think, I think Trout's the one to blame. It's all Trout's fault. Now, now you know why the Angels never make the playoffs. Nope. It, okay, that's it's been fun talking to you, Stephen. That's my team. I can't no no Angels slander on this podcast. All right. Uh, I I legitimately have had fun talking to you. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I, I'm always down to talk Justin Herbert. Anything <laughs> about him either. I think we, we we spent like ten minutes talking about him personally, and then like five about like how about nice he is. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure a lot of people are really, really intrigued by that. Okay. Next time he does something amazing, I'm going to have you come on. We'll just do like a breaking news um, fan appreciation segment. We'll create some music like, uh, well, I don't know what it's called in this format in TV. It would be like an animation. Like we're going to make it fancy and you're going to be my Justin Herbert fan club person. Okay. I'll be your correspondent all year. If he'd ever do <laughs> any good throw he makes, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm live on the scene. And you can find Steven on Twitter at the Steven Ruiz. And that is Steven with a V. And I cannot wait to have him on frequently in the fall when Herbert blows our minds with his wild talent and incredible locks and inevitably stops to help a stranger who's broken down on the side of the freeway or something with his increasingly legendary kindness. We will have Herbert news covered, whatever that means. Anyway, thank you for listening. Always appreciate it. And I hope that you'll join us back here again next week. In the meantime, if you do have a few seconds to click that five-star button, maybe leave a review, subscribe if you haven't already. That would be awesome. I'd also love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Rhodes. Lindsay Rhodes NFL is my handle on Insta. The NFL Road Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Andrew Immer is the producer. Marissa Rivas is the acting director of sports podcasts for SiriusXM. And Steve Cohen is the uh, senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will see you back here again next week. SiriusXM Podcasts.